Good morning. Really, uh, I was excited to uh, to observe the Lord's Supper together, and and I'm especially excited to do that this morning. Um, we're going to be we've been in the book of Hebrews now for a long time. For the last, I guess, nine weeks, we've been in Hebrews chapter seven through ten, and in those chapters, we've seen how the writer of Hebrews tells us that the old system it was only a shadow of that which was to come. The tabernacle, the sacrifices, the Old Testament priests, all of those things pointed ahead to Jesus, who was the fulfillment of all those things. He was the only one who could really provide a way for our sins to be forgiven. As we've seen, those Old Testament sacrifices only did that temporarily, and they they couldn't completely atone for our sins. And so this morning, we're going to come and, and celebrate Jesus, and what's really interesting and And exciting to me is that on the night when Jesus ate that Passover meal with his disciples, which we now refer to as the the Last Supper usually, that as he did that, he actually pointed ahead to the things that we're going to see that we've seen actually in the book of Hebrews over these last seven weeks. Some things about Jesus that that are revealed by the writer of Hebrews. So, So really this morning... As we observe the Lord's Supper together, we're going to review some of the things that we've learned over the last nine weeks and see how Jesus used what we call the Last Supper or the Lord's Supper to to reveal those things, to reveal them to his disciples and to us as well. But before we do that, it's really important that, that we take a moment to make sure that we don't come to this observance in the wrong way. Back in, uh, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul wrote to the church at Corinth because they had kind of lost their sense of, of reverence and awe about the Lord's Supper. They'd made it into just a, a big feast where everyone would come and some people would eat a whole bunch and they would just they would be gluttons and others would get nothing to eat. And some people were getting drunk at the same time. Now, I don't think there's a whole lot of danger that any of us are going to do that this morning, right? These little pieces of bread, nobody's going to be a glutton, and we're not going to get drunk on grape juice. And yet, some of the warnings that Paul gave in that chapter are very applicable to us this morning. In particular, I'd like to point out what he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 26. He wrote this. He says, For as often as you eat this bread... And drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We're going to come back to that phrase again a little later. So remember that, until he comes. He says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. So what does that mean? What does it mean to come to the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, as he says there? I think there's really two ways that that could happen. The most important way is he says that somebody that comes to the Lord's Supper without recognizing the body and the blood of Christ, that that's coming in an unworthy manner. So what he's saying there is that what we've seen in the book of Hebrews, if you try to come to God in any other way than through the shed blood of Jesus on the cross, that, that if you were to take of the bread and the cup today, you'd be doing it in an unworthy manner. Now, our prayer is that that if you've never made that decision in your life, if you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ alone as your way to be made right with God, we are praying that this morning that God would speak to you through this service, 
that he would convict you of your need for a Savior, that he would convict you of your need to put your faith in Jesus Christ alone. And so we encourage you to participate in everything that happens here, but we do ask that when it comes time to take of the bread and the cup, that you just refrain from that. Because to do so would be doing it in an unworthy manner. And the Bible's clear that there are significant consequences to that. Now, for those of you who have already made that decision, and I'm pretty confident that that's most of you that are here today, maybe all of you, there's another way we could come to this observance in an unworthy manner. And that would be to come with sin that we know is in our life that we haven't confessed to God. And so we're going to take a moment right now just for all of us to examine ourselves, which is what Paul instructs us to do here. To just ask God, God, is there any sin in my life that I haven't confessed to you? And to take a moment to go ahead and confess that to him. So would you go ahead and bow your heads and take just a moment to reflect on your life before God and prepare your heart for this observance. Father, we do come before you now, and just uh, as we're in your presence, we recognize that we can only be in your presence because you have allowed us to do that through the work that your son Jesus did for us on the cross. And we're so grateful, Father, for for that work and, and how we learn so much about that in the book of Hebrews. So help us this morning, Father, as we continue in this service, and before we take the cup and the bread later, help us to, to ensure, God, that we have confessed our sin before you. And we do recognize now that we're all sinners, but because of your grace, we're no longer under that slavery and under that thumb of sin. And we're so grateful for that now, Father. So as we continue, Father, if there's any unrepentant sin, allow this time to be that time that we, we, we bring that to your table so we can, we can enjoy and remember what your, your son Jesus did for us. It's in his name, God, that we pray. As Pat uh, just moments ago pointed out, in Hebrews 7 through 10, what we've seen is that there are several references, and you'll see them on the screen behind me. There are several references to these Old Testament prophecies and, and, and things that happened during that time that pointed us directly to Jesus, and it really revealed three aspects of his ministry. Um, one of those being here, a, a new kind of a priest, and he would also be a, a, a new sacrifice, and obviously here, as we see, a, he will inaugurate a new covenant. And this is what we've seen over the past several uh, weeks as we've looked in the book of Hebrews. So what we're going to do this morning as part of our service and recognizing that is take a look at each one of them independently and see how Jesus pointed ahead and how he would fulfill each of these as, as we observed and as he observed the Passover uh, meal with his disciples on that night prior to his crucifixion. So I want to kind of look at that first. So we'll first take a look at how Jesus was a new kind of priest. At least six different times in the book of Hebrews, we saw references to Psalm 110, which revealed that the Messiah would be a new kind of priest in the order of Melchizedek, rather than just being another line of Levitical priests. And this is what we read 
in Psalm 110, verse 4. That the Lord has sworn and would not change his mind, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So hopefully you'll remember that Melchizedek was introduced all the way back in Genesis chapter 14 when he came to meet Abram after his victory to the kings who had taken his nephew Lot. And he is referred to there and and in Hebrews as the priest of the Most High God. And interestingly, in his role as priest, he brings wine and bread with him. And we see that in this account in Genesis 14. And Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High. And that bread and wine did not make Abram righteous, but it did point ahead to the great high priest who would one day do that for him who put their faith in him which is Jesus. So we really should not be surprised that on the night of the resurrection or crucifixion that Jesus took on the role of mediator and priest for his disciples. And he illustrated that by using the same two elements that Melchizedek had used 2,000 or so years prior, and he used those same elements, the bread and the wine. So let's go ahead and I want to read Luke's account of the Last Supper from Luke chapter 22. So when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat of this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of this fruit of the wine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when it was given, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which I had given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after he had eaten, said, This cup is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. And sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have, wrong one. We'll get back to that here in just a moment. So what we see here. And, and we're going to look at some of the other aspects of Christ's ministry here as well that's revealed. But in this particular moment, let's notice Jesus' role as our great high priest and how it was revealed and the bread and the wine. And so as we take the bread and the cup this morning, we should reflect on the fact that Jesus is our high priest who makes it possible for us to draw near to God. Second thing we want to focus on this morning is this idea that when, when Jesus came and as he celebrated this, this supper with his disciples, that he pointed ahead to the new kind of sacrifice that he was going to be. We've already seen in the book of Hebrews that the sacrifices under the old covenant, they were, they were never sufficient. As a matter of fact, God always had plan A, which was Jesus. He knew those, those sacrifices wouldn't be sufficient. And so the writer of Hebrews, he quotes actually from Psalm 40, and and hopefully you remember this quote from a few weeks ago, and here's what it says in Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8. In sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burn offering and sin offering, you have not required. Then I said, behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Here's what, here's what Jesus, what the Scriptures tell us is that, that one day there was going to be another sacrifice that would be made. Because this, the blood of bulls and 
and goats was never sufficient to provide a complete atonement for our sins. And so even in the Old Testament, God looked forward to the time when when Jesus would come and he would do the Father's will by dying on the cross and making sacrifice for us. As a matter of fact, Jesus himself pointed to this when when he reminded us in John chapter 4 about the importance of doing his Father's will. He said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And what was that will? It was for him to come and to be the sacrifice so that we would no longer need to sacrifice time after time after time the blood of of bulls and goats, but that Jesus himself would become our sacrifice. And he points to this actually in that Passover supper in three ways. First of all, he says, this is my body. He takes the bread and he breaks it. He says, this is my body given for you. He said that to his disciples. He's saying that to us today. And then he says, this is the cup that is poured out for you. In Matthew's account, he actually says, this is the, the cup that is poured out for many. That includes all of us here this morning. And here's why the sacrifice of Jesus was different, is that Jesus didn't need to make that sacrifice for himself, right? He was sinless. But he says, I make that sacrifice for you and for me. And so this morning as we take the bread that reminds us of the body of Christ, as we take the cup that reminds us of his blood, we want to remember that sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf so that we could be free from our sins. Finally, let's consider the new covenant, the new covenant that was inaugurated by Jesus. Interestingly enough, the writer of Hebrews quotes Jeremiah 31 at the end of, uh, at the end of chapter 8, and then again in chapter 10, in the middle of that. And what we saw there is that the, it, it, that section was bookended by this mention of the new covenant from Jeremiah 31. And, and, and this is where we see that the author is identifying and describing Jesus being the fulfillment of this new covenant. So under this new covenant, it is possible, under this new covenant, it is possible that for each individual to have a personal relationship with Jesus. And it is also a covenant where the law is internal rather than external, which makes it possible to obey the law, even though none of us can do that perfectly. So during the Lord's Supper, Jesus explicitly tells his disciples that the cup represents his blood, that blood that was given in order to inaugurate that new covenant. And that new covenant will reach its final fulfillment in the second coming of Jesus, which is what we remember today as well. And he will physically reign over his kingdom. And I think this is why Paul wrote this in his instructions to the church in Corinth in verse 26 of 1 Corinthians 20, uh, 11. It says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's what we're gathered here today for. So as we eat the bread and we drink the cup today, we do need to meditate on the, how the death of Jesus inaugurated this new covenant under which we live right now and which will one day find its final fulfillment in the return of Jesus. 
just a moment, we're going to invite you to come up and to take of the bread and of the cup and, and to take it back to your seat and, and really just to spend some time quietly meditating on the things that we've talked about this morning. So we want to invite you to meditate on the idea that Jesus is our great high priest, one in the order of Melchizedek, who makes it possible for us to draw near boldly and confidently to the throne of God. We want to invite you to to meditate on the sacrifice of Jesus that makes it possible for us to be redeemed for our sin. And we want to invite you to meditate on this new covenant that makes it possible for us to know God intimately and personally and have a relationship with Him. Now, if it's difficult for you physically to come up and to, uh, and to, to get the cup and the bread, um, just let, go ahead and raise your hand, and one of our elders will go ahead and bring that to you. Otherwise, we are going to invite you to come up and to take that, and then just take it back to your seat. And then once you've had a chance to kind of meditate on that, there's going to be a couple of videos that will show that will kind of lead you through the time to go ahead and eat the bread and to drink from the cup. We just want this to be a time of quiet meditation. There won't be any music playing or anything. This is just a time for you to quietly meditate on the things that we've seen in the book of Hebrews that Jesus brought to light through the Lord's Supper.
anyone that would like to participate that didn't get bread and a cup, that we make sure you get it. Bible tells us that on that evening after they observed the Passover supper together that they went out to the garden where they sang a hymn. And so it seems appropriate that we would end our time this morning doing the same thing. So would you go ahead and stand with us as we sing Amazing Grace. 